0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Rerooted on Ram Be Here Now Network. I'm Francesca Maxime, so thrilled to be with you uh, today. And we are continuing to really explore our own rooting, rooting into ourselves, rooting into one another. And what does it really mean to have that shared connection where we're all sort of linked, not really ranked, and enjoying what it's like when we can give life to one another in much the same way that uh, the trees have um, been shown to do and uh, are part of our whole network. Um, part of our network here today for this edition is uh, a really amazing duo. I'll I'll call them you know sort of like Batman and Robin here. Um, we have <laughs> Dr. Percy Ballard and we have uh, Kate Lindgren. They're Boston based. Um, well, about Percy is, uh, Dr. Ballard is a psychiatrist and uh, Keith's a psychotherapist. And they do a lot of implicit bias training. And I came across them while I was working on um, a program for internal family systems, which does part work that kind of explores a little bit about um, how our different uh, sort of elements can come in, our fetters, as the Buddha might say, and, and what we might be able to do when we're not so much aware that they're there. And, and, and what we might be able to do to kind of bring some compassion and understanding to them and kind of open up what that means to uh, allowing for a wider shared connection. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us and welcome Kate and Fursick. Hey, thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, it's, it's it's wonderful that we can do this work uh, together now with this technology it wouldn't have been possible before <laughs> this is the first time I'm doing it with both of you so I'm going to sort of um, play with this a little bit do you have either one of you either reflections or thoughts about anything that I said so far or do you just want to start talking a little bit about um,
1: your work well I want to just say I love the metaphor of the trees and um... We, uh, when we're teaching IFS, uh, particularly with couples, we talk about the aspen trees where they're, uh, I wish I had a photograph to show you. I hadn't even thought of it, but all connected underneath. It's really one tree. And that in those huge aspen forests, all those trees are part of one system. And I love that you use the tree metaphor because that's how we think of um, our community, our human community. Percy and I. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you.
2: It's, it's so literal too, because they're, um, let's see, as far as the, the, um, I don't know if you've, uh, familiar with any of the books on attachment, I think there's, uh, David, um, um, well, let's see, no, Dan Siegel, oh,
0: like yeah.
2: Dan, Dan Siegel, as far as the, the neurobiology of we, how very literally our neurobiology is connected and we are a greater system. Um, and, uh, it, when viewed in that way, there's a greater interconnection of, and of course that's, that's the, you know, basis of, you know, Mahayana Buddhism. And so it's, um, yeah, yeah. Taking that very literally, we feel one another.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, yeah. And we affect one another all the time.
0: Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And I love that in certain communities, they, that, that's really like in the vernacular, right? Like, I feel you, you know, like, and,
2: yeah.
0: and that's yeah. kind of what that, you know, Dr. Joy DeGruy was talking about that and how that that really is. Um, uh, it means something, right? It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe Percy, starting perhaps with you, um, just around the ideas of what you um, were introducing off camera initially, uh, in terms of maybe the three things that we might explore together today.
2: Sure. So when we do workshops on implicit bias, and um, I guess the, the word workshop or, or training might not be the best because it's not like you go and you get trained and you, and you have it. It is a really active exploration uh, into, your, into one's own implicit bias and how one uh, understands it in themselves, how one uh, explores it in others, how, how one um, gives and re- receives feedback about implicit bias. So our workshops are really, um, I'd say, four parts. One is just introducing to what implicit bias is, how it affects us in the world, how it manifests in the world, just so we have a familiarity with it and what it, what it feels like and what, it, um, what the subjective experience of it is like. Um, so you know how it manifests in just you know feelings, little automatic thoughts, um, behaviors that we see and people point out in us. Um, then um, we get to what um, what it looks like in everyday conversation when it shows up and it's in your face, and what that does inside of you when you see it, um, and um, also what happens inside of you. When someone points it out to you. Mm-hmm. And so we all have, um, as you know, we'll probably get to later, anti bias parts, but you either shame bias when we see it in ourselves and others or hides it from us so we don't get shamed or defends us against it so we don't get shamed or feel shame. Um, uh, then there's the concept of working with implicit bias in oneself. So becoming more curious about it um, and actually seeing, you know, a- acknowledging it not from the standpoint of okay, it's okay that it's there and we don't wanna do anything about it, but huh, if, if I had this inside of me, wouldn't, wouldn't I wanna know something about it? Wouldn't I wanna know that it was there so that I could help change it?
0: And, and just to pause for a moment because I should have asked you in the beginning to just sort of really explain what you mean by implicit bias because I'm not even sure that everyone is as clear as perhaps we are or some folks in the audience might be um, because I think that in some ways, um, we may not even really know what that means, or it might
2: mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm Kate. Would you want to take this one?
1: Sure. Although you're speaking so beautifully, I'm you're on a roll there. Oh, uh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, go ahead, Percy. Go. 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 Uh, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Okay. Cool. Sounds good. So, implicit yeah. bias um, are the little ideas and associations that we have. Um, that we're not necessarily aware that we have. So the idea that we associate um, woman, uh, the, the concept of being female with rearing a family and the concept of being male with, a, with you know, having a career. Um, those are things that, those are associations that we have from a young age that are, just in us. We didn't put them there. Our environments, you know, the, the media and the people that we have been around um, have put that in us. And we are, we are biologically wired to have these associations. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so those are, are things that we're biased to believe or to look for that we're not necessarily aware of. And they, they come out in the way that we, the things that we expect to see in the world, they come out in little feelings and tendencies. Um, and they affect, importantly affect, how people are able to live their lives. So for example, it will affect, uh, someone's implicit bias will affect if you're a CEO, whether someone will, uh, will invest in your company. Um, it comes down to the gut idea of do they think you can do the job? And the, the reality of whether they, they perceive you as a certain race or a certain gender is going to affect that because that is the way that we have been programmed by, by our society. Um, so that's, for example, but it affects who gets a callback for a job. You know, if someone submits uh, an application that says uh, Jane Smith versus Letitia Smith, Um, inevitably Jane Smith will get more callbacks, even if it's the same, very same application. Um, it will, um, and of course it will affect as we've seen recently, as far as, uh, uh, can go to the level of affecting who, who lives and who dies, who is seen by a, a police officer as carrying a weapon, uh, when they raise their hand versus being unarmed. Um, and so this has been, you know, all three of these things have been proven and there's so many other ways that it does in healthcare, for example, who gets pain medication when they report the same amount of pain, who gets a cardiac, cardiac catheterization or a procedure. Um, so all of these things affect people's, people's, um, people's livelihoods, people's life and people's death. Um, so, um, that's why we see it as important to really, to really work with it. Um, and there are all sorts of all sorts of ways that it, um, uh, manifests that can be hurtful in our, uh, microaggressions with, with one another.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as, you know, another, another way of saying it is, uh, implicit bias is unconscious bias, it's also called that. And we all have it. We really want to normalize it that, you know, we've innocently picked up all kinds of beliefs that we didn't consciously take on. And what we do is try to access those unconscious beliefs and biases so that we can really uh, work to get them to soften and um, not, and not be active in um, The way they, because our, every moment of every day, our unconscious beliefs are influencing our choices, where we go, who we see, what foods we're choosing in the grocery store. I mean, everything. And so if we can access these beliefs, particularly the ones that are getting in the way of what we call self to self connection, uh, open hearted connection, we have a way in using IFS Um, to really help these beliefs understand um, moving and i'm just moving into another area for a second understand uh, that they don't have to influence us in the way they thought they did Um, and then yeah we'll talk more about that later about using the ifs model but uh, we really want to normalize that we all have these beliefs and they're limiting Mm
2: And they're, they're automatic. Yeah. Um, We don't really have conscious control over them. Um, Yet as psychotherapists, we are in the business of using the tools that we have to change sort of automatic assumptions that we make. Um, So in automatic bodily reactions that we have. Um, So we, we work with, we work with phobias, we work with addictions, we work with panic attacks, yeah. We work with, you know, aversion to certain, certain um, environments that remind us of something bad. We are in the business of helping people to change their neurobiology, to change their automatic reaction to things. And if we can use it for that, mm. why not use it for something that is also automatic and also painful and harmful to, to all parties involved, which keeps us from connecting with one another? So um, we use those very same tools, um, and in our case, you know, a specific set of techniques um, um, in internal family systems to address this other set of problems that, um, or this other set of just phenomena, human, human phenomena that happen, um, and help us to connect better with one another.
0: Right. Beautiful. Thank mm. you yeah i I, I really I really think that's the 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 goal and as um, you know a mindfulness practitioner and teacher I think that you know the most fundamental thing that I've um, really come to understand is that um, we're sort of getting back to what's already here to the way things really are the way things really are right from that you know sort of non-dual larger perspective cosmic I mean, we just did this whole black hole discovery you know picture the other day i mean it's just it's like crazy to think about we are just these little specks down here and uh-huh. yeah, are, what are we made out of stardust what are what are what, what is here right what is here in me this little thing that walks around or brushes her teeth or maybe doesn't I don't know and and how is that connected and how does that translate into us being connected and 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 just this remembering this sati this coming back to our own shared connection um it just gets in the way it's just you know the clouds over the sun but we're we're we're, it's it's there And so these techniques, these um, ways in, of looking at it can be really, really helpful, I think, for folks. I know it's been helpful for me. Um, and also the piece about compassion. So you're connecting to self and other. So right. this is a piece of um, both and. Okay. So um, thank you for, for that. And I apologize that I didn't start with that. And Prissy, I don't know if you want to pick up with where you left off or if you could even remember or just you just keep going from where we are right now.
2: Well, uh, yeah, something like that. I mean, so in, in our programs, we introduce implicit bias. We um, introduce how to work with everyday encounters in implicit bias when it shows up. Uh, we help people to work with their own implicit bias and also um, um, maybe particularly for therapists, but it really wouldn't matter how to help okay. other people work with, with their implicit bias when when we see it in them and to go through the... Um, We actually teach the layers of what's behind implicit bias. Mm
1: -hmm. And we do, we teach this partly through role plays, uh, where we show what it looks like, and then we kind of unpack that, Um, that really illustrating that biased, we see biased beliefs as protectors. And in internal family systems, there are uh, basically, you know, two kinds of parts, protectors and exiles, the parts that are protected or vulnerabilities. And um, what we have come to understand in our conversations and in our work together is that biased beliefs are in the service of protecting some vulnerability, real or perceived. And it's amazing to think of it that way because as with any other protector part, the more we understand its concerns and its intentions, the more we can help it, we can update it and help it understand that it doesn't have to be doing that job in that way.
0: I love that. That is so critical is that, yeah. you know, again, this idea of developing these biased parts as a way of protecting our vulnerability. So we're, just, we're really just trying to stay safe. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and to, and to, and, or, or what we believe is what we need to do to stay right. safe. Or perhaps what we might have had to have done at once yes. to stay safe right. in our environment that no longer do we need to do or have to yes. these, quote unquote, protectors um, in the internal family systems language uh, aren't aware of that yet, maybe. Right,
1: right. right.
2: And the layer above that is, is that, that, that we need to get past is that there are parts of us that, that have bias, which Kate described, which is something that is protective to us. We also have parts that keep that bias implicit so that we can't access it. And this is something that Kate and I had to had to work with to figure out, okay, how do we get past those parts that don't want us to see our own bias that are really um, defensive that either hiding it or shaming it um, okay. in, in some way um, so that we can access it so that okay. we can ask those okay. very questions that, that, um, that Kate was saying, "How did this bias get here, and what is it what is it trying to do for us uh,
1: yeah, and because um to have a biased belief often means we 're bad people, so many of us hold that if i have if i 'm biased that means i 'm bad, and so those protectors keep it out of our awareness, or else we would you know the risk is we see ourselves as bad mm. right yeah. and um, this is kind of how I got interested in implicit bias. Was, um, you know, in the l- large IFS community, hearing from colleagues, you know, I'm not racist, I'm not homophobic, and me saying, great, that's great. And then hearing things that might suggest otherwise, right? So it's true, the belief is, I'm not homophobic, I'm not racist. And then other things come out like, well, I'm not homophobic, but I really um, make something up. Things like, uh, based on real things I've heard. But I, uh, my daughter came out to me, and I just cannot wrap around her being married to another woman, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, but I'm not homophobic. Mm-hmm. Right. And really... It's, Hearing that more and more, once you start to listen for it, you can hear it. And I hear it in myself. I mean, I'm not excluded from any of that. Mm-hmm. And and then realizing, okay, so that's implicit bias. We really believe we don't have these biased beliefs
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: because we're invested in being good people. And how liberating is it to think I'm a good person, and I have some beliefs that are biased. I have some parts that hold biased beliefs, and I can get curious about that. I don't have to shame it and exile it.
2: Right, in the sense that it's a natural function Mm -hmm. of the human brain. The human brain, probably most of what it does, is it categorizes, it categorizes things, And it categorizes people and places. And, right, we have to know whether uh, there's a, you know, uh, really, you know, viscerally, if we're, you know, roaming through the Serengeti, we need to know whether um, something is, you know, a lion or a plant (laughs) or, you know, okay, when we don't necessarily have, we, we can't necessarily go through and think, okay, this is a mammal. Let's see. It's furry. It has a mane. it's probably a lion i should probably get out of here um we we, we need to learn to to like viscerally our our we have an automatic mode of of thinking that is a fast track it's more emotional more limbic system based um that has to help us make these decisions very viscerally very fast and um so this is part of the fast pathway, but we need to categorize things. We categorize people, places, and things. And, um, and sometimes our brain happens to learn to categorize things and people and places in ways that really aren't as helpful to our system. Mm-hmm. And we want to help it to, to be more you know, accurate and mindful about, why, about how we categorize.
0: Yeah. No, I really appreciate that. And so as we're talking about this, um, we don't really, you know, that it's adaptive, right? Like there's a reason why this is here, right? Um, But it's, are we confusing, you know, the finger pointing to the moon for the moon or, you know, like the way that Joseph Goldstein will talk about it, um, you know, the noting piece around, um, are we able to, um, do we have to say it's an apple or, you know, is it just seeing? Do we have to say it's a lamp or can we just say seeing? Right. Right. And yeah. so there's that mindfulness piece practice yeah. that can be helpful in terms of how we conceptualize how we're dealing with these parts. Like, what You know what I mean? And, and, and with, our, with our relation to what arises. At least in, I, does that make sense?
2: I mean, we, we automatically are conditioned for, and I think for good reason, to, to say Apple as opposed to saying seeing and that in in that meditation, you're becoming mindful and being really focused on how your mind actually works and how your mind does, um, you know, if you're focused or concentrated enough, you will be quick enough to recognize that, okay, this is a, this is a, a, this has color and shape and it's kind of crystallizing into something. And then my mind is labeling it and it says apple, and then it goes to all the memories that I've had of apples. I know what apples taste like. And so watching your mind in the way that it is, that it is conditioned to work um, is, and so that, that is a meditation to help your mind do that. Uh, And yes, it does that with apple. It also does that to, uh, to, you know, when we, when we Assign gender to people; it does that as well. Uh, so, okay, this is person is most likely. Um, this person is most like. Most likely, for most people, they have the the binary, the gender binary, condition into them. So, this person is uh, male or female. Um, they are probably, you know, they probably are of X race. Um, even down to, you know, this person probably. Uh, uh, is more likely to um, more likely to have a career that is athletic versus a career that is um, you know that is in leadership you know so there are, are automatic assumptions that we make and it's hard to see all of that we can't be conscious of all of that that would just bog us that would just bog us down um, yet when we recognize that we're categorizing uh, Incorrectly, or even in a way that's hurtful,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, we need to have tools to examine that. Just like we have tools to examine, um, you know, what we do when we see an apple.
0: Right. And that's beautiful. And I'm going to let you um, jump in, Kate. And one of the things that I just wanted to mention is this. So there's really a part of this. This is very adaptive. This is helpful. This is what we need. So we are not going to be eaten by the lion in the Serengeti or whatever right. it is, right? Like we know that that's part of evolutionarily why we are sort of. Um, You know, categorizing, compartmentalizing, whatever, and then as the Homo sapiens sapiens, the ones who are aware that we are aware, which is a a, a lovely quality if we can engage it (laughs) as adults, um, Mm -hmm. that we can um, then look at that and see, okay, well, is that what's necessary right here, right now, in this present moment? And then to your point, um, what of what of that? operationally that's happening that I'm not even aware of is, is pulling me into quicksand that I'm not even aware of or, or creating damage or hurt um, to myself or to others. Right. So Kate, I don't know if you want to go with that, or if you guys maybe want to do an example of something like a, excuse me, you tell me what's next.
1: Um, Well, we could do a role play and then we could unpack that. Um, according to the kind of the general IFS, internal family systems model that we've adapted to work with bias. And then we could do it in what we call in internal family systems, um, a more self-led way. And just so people know in IFS, the term self means uh, a bunch of different C words. We tend to describe it as connected, compassionate, curious, calm, centered, Uh, creativity, there are eight of them, and I usually get around six. Uh, (laughs) Percy, Mm -hmm. what am I missing? Caring, that kind of energy. When we're in that energy, that's our true essence. That is us. Mm -hmm. And most of us have moments of that. Uh, It takes practice to really live more in that energy. And so what our goal is, is to bring more self-leadership. To our conversation to our internal work and to our conversations so then we'll we try to show the same scenario but in a self-led way in a role play um, so that people see the difference would that feel helpful well
0: i think people like examples right and so i think that Mm -hmm. that is helpful and so it's basically just saying okay here's the first so just for listeners the first um the first way is going to be like how we normally would get caught or how we might normally get caught and then the second way is when you're coming from your best buddha nature self or your best you know Mm -hmm. sort of drop into your deeper large S self your presence with a p whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. um when you're sort of coming from that um place yes from these um reactivity parts when you're right. responding and you're not reacting
1: yeah yeah <laughs> right mm-hmm.
0: yeah. so um so yeah
1: how about that well we have a bunch of them uh what do you think Percy? you want to do um
2: oh i have a hat here do you do you have a hat i do i'd have to go get it that's i right
0: i'm gonna pause for one moment and go ahead okay Great, so now we're going to have Kate and Percy do a demo of what it might be like if we were not coming from a quote unquote self-led place, a place of um, more presence, where we're more susceptible to being caught by our um, implicit biases. Right. Take it away.
1: Okay. Let's
2: see if we can get See so can get closer to the camera so people can see what's on the hat. Yeah, can there's you a see
0: Cleveland the... Indians hat that gets yes. put on right now for <coughs> anyone who is um, listening to the audio of this and not watching the video.
1: So, hey, Percy.
2: Hey, uh, what's, what's up with the hat? I've never you seen mean? you wear that before.
1: Oh, yeah, it's my Cleveland Indians baseball hat.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. That, you know that's racist, right?
1: What? What do you mean?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you're wearing a hat of a Native American that is bright red, has a big smile, uh, and yeah. it's basically, it, it's, it's cultural appropriation. It's making money off of someone else's stuff. Whoa,
1: what are you talking, what? This is the Cleveland Indians.
2: Yeah, logo. and that's racist.
1: Oh, come on, Percy, I think you might be overreacting here of course
2: it's easy for you it's easy for you to say as a white woman that i'm overreacting whoa
1: oh so that's how we're gonna be all right
2: that is you know well this it's it's what you're bringing in here like you you the way what is up with theory, you
1: that? i've never seen you like this wow okay so
2: time oh. out all right. Did, all right did that uh so you know, as we, as we do that, I don't know if that seemed productive to, <laughs> to anyone watching. That. Well, how, did you, how did you feel? When yeah, you,
0: let, you let saw me just. That? Yeah, let me just sort of what it triggered in me. Yeah. right? So so just me watching this with you and listening to it with you, and I would encourage anybody who wants to check out the video. If you're just listening on the audio, to um, watch the video on YouTube. Is that um, when Kate put on the um, Cleveland Indians hat, she was doing as, as I know um, many sports fans do. They're just, you know, sort of thinking through the lens of I'm supporting my team. This is what the team happens to be called. Right. What it right. means to whatever. They haven't done um, exploration necessarily around um, what does it really mean to be called the Cleveland Indians as opposed to something. I don't know. I'm from Boston also, so I guess the the Red Sox, right? Oh. I don't even know what the origins of that are. Hopefully, that's nothing too uh, ridiculous, but um, looking at Red socks, it could be, I don't know. I don't know what the Red socks mean, actually, <laughs> something terrible. <laughs> I don't even want to know. But um, it's not as incendiary uh, as, right. as uh, the Cleveland Indians yeah. And so for those who, um, you know, are being more uh, aware and culturally responsive and culturally sensitive, um, there has been obviously a lot of conversation yes. around Um, the Cleveland Indians, the Washington McKinsey sports teams and about whether or not uh, they could change the name and what would that mean and is that so Mm -hmm. bad if there is a genocide of indigenous people in Mm -hmm. this land um, called Turtle Island to to many uh, that Mm -hmm. is now what we call the United States of America um, that has a legacy of genocide Mm -hmm. and battle slavery and and all of whatever that might mean. So Mm -hmm. I'm hearing Percy's role play be one who is sort of calling attention to that saying that this is racist and Mm can't saying um well this is just my hat and my sports team what do you mean i root for these guys they won the world series or whatever
1: right Mm -hmm. yeah and for me another aspect of this is the way percy came at me Mm -hmm. right was sort of attacking and i couldn't hear what he was saying Mm -hmm. i just had to defend myself right you're accusing me of something Mm naturally that would evoke a protector part i am not what you're saying that is not true for me Mm -hmm. right right you are the problem you're overreacting so the blaming it's a very unhelpful as you know you can see it's an unhelpful conversation
2: right and and it's not like i'm necessarily saying things that are that are not true and are not worthy of being heard Um,
1: right but when delivered that way, in a shaming, angry way, I can't hear it. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and, and I so, love the, go ahead, Percy, go ahead.
2: Yeah. We want to look at saying, um, yeah, say, we don't want people to avoid having those conversations right. or to avoid bringing them up. We just want people to do it in a way that works and is actually productive and brings them the results mm-hmm. that they would want to have.
1: Yeah. Right
0: beautiful and 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 just to sort of bookmark that that you're saying is i think that a lot of people who are um you know that they, they they call certain things out and they're just like you know whatever it's it's more about what in the mindfulness training that i've done anyway we're talking about well what's the what's the deepest intention mm. you know, intention underneath it and can we be in touch with that so that when we come forward to share or express or to try to educate or to elucidate or whatever version of it that may be to have greater clarity around the full picture of what it means Mm -hmm. that it isn't just coming from this place that feels hurt or angry right from within us right and then perpetuate a cycle
1: right and from a clinical point of view I would say you know I think shame is one of the most uncomfortable if not the most uncomfortable human emotion Mm -hmm. and shame protectors are fast and intense. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I will often say I don't like being on the receiving end of a shame protector because it will take your face off. (laughs) Right. So there was my anger was like, I'm getting angrier with Percy because I don't, and I'm not thinking this consciously, but unconsciously my shame protector Is angry with Percy blaming him you're overreacting so that I don't get overwhelmed with shame that I have done something bad Hmm.
0: yeah it gets lost yeah real true essence of what it was trying to do gets lost as the way the message is
1: being
2: yeah right so this role plays an introduction to a concept of what we call a, a it's a certain layer in implicit bias and in this case, uh, in my case, and I think in case, case two, it's called an anti-bias. And so this is, of course, in IFS, we have, as we mentioned, we have parts and we have self that is you know, akin to Buddha nature, akin to um, just where we are as, as mammals when we are not being threatened. And um, in this part, in this anti-bias part, that is the part of me that sees the hat and gets angry, says, okay, that is something wrong. It's doing harm in the world. And it's wanting to do something about it. It is wanting to change uh, Kate or change something about Mm -hmm. Kate. And this part is intended to help make the world safe. It has a great intention. It is wonderful that there is a part that comes up and informs me that, hey, there's something going on here that's not right. Yeah. When this part actually feels like it needs to, it needs to not only inform me and allow me to respond to it mindfully, but actually take over and respond itself in the, you know, in anger and blaming and that sort of thing, and try to change Kate through shaming her, um, that it leads to a response that it actually didn't want to get. It's actually trying to, it actually wants to help Kate right. and help change the world, but it's not doing it. It's just actually causing Kate to dig in her, her heels. And, um, and it, that becomes a lot of work.
1: Right, right. right.
2: And right. now I'm imagining it brings out a part in you, Kate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah go ahead, Francesca.
0: No, no, you, please. So,
1: you know, the, what it brings out in me is not, Oh, wow. Let me take a look at this and hear uh, tell me more. What it brings out in me in that delivery is I'm not bad, right? It triggers shame. Mm -hmm. And then it, it doesn't even register as shame in a nanosecond. I'm responding with anger. You are being overly sensitive. Right. Right. And, um, but I love what you're saying, Percy, and we. W- this is so important to us that those reactive parts are actual, they have a positive intention. Yeah. They want to make the world better. So how about we show what we would call a more self-led way of having this conversation? That'd be great. Okay. Yeah, which, by the way, isn't easy, but is definitely doable. And yeah. worth it. And we do, and it, so worth it. And yeah.
0: we do it in messy ways. Like we don't like hit True. the ball out of the park right away. You know, yeah. we, we yeah. just keep practicing, and that's the whole right. point of why we call any of these practices practice. Yes, whether right. it's you know it, it's meditation, mindfulness practice, whether mm. it's kirtan and you're chanting, whether it's um, dancing or piano playing. I interviewed mm. Christian McBride the other day. He's a Grammy-winning bassist. I mean, you've got oh, a yeah. lot of practice before you're gonna get to that point, right? Yes, right. We're practicing, Mm -hmm. but what are we practicing? Because we're always practicing something, Mm -hmm. but what are we practicing? Are we practicing with intentionality and um, moving forward into something like this where we're unpacking, or are we practicing um, whatever it is that we've been programmed to do or conditioned by, in which case that's gonna be what grows. And so we wanna just sort of unpack Mm -hmm. uh, that conditioning. So please go ahead with your self-led.
1: All right, okay, you ready? Yeah. Ready. All right. Hey, Percy.
2: Hey, Kate. How's How are you doing? Good. Good. Yeah. You ready to go? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. First, do you mind if I share something that's going on inside of me right now? No, of course not. Go right ahead. Okay, cool. Well, so I'm, I'm looking at your hat and it actually brings out something, uh, something in me. I don't know if I can explain it, but I start to feel really, really sad and really um, just mm. a sense of pain as far as what, um, I just think of what happened to an entire you know, race, as we call it, of people um,
0: mm-hmm. in
2: this country. And huh. I feel oh. hurt, mm. yeah, yeah. And I'm kind mm. of like registering that you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but it it registers to me that there are a lot of people that are making, like making a profit off of someone else's pain when they put a Cleveland Indian or when they when they put an an Indian or a Native American on on mm. a hat, and it just strikes me as something that. Mm. It, yeah, I, what's yeah, the like thought for you, you to know, hear that?
1: I I totally hear what you're saying, and you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say. It never struck me that way, but I totally get what you're saying, especially because I know you have some native American history, but you have yeah. ancestry. And, um, I, yeah, I'm feeling like it was kind of insensitive for me to wear this hat. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Can mm. I also share something? I'm just curious about.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, I don't even know if you're able to answer this, but I'm, I'm curious about what would you mentioned like it feeling it was insensitive and mm-hmm. what would be, what, what would cause one? I guess there's an aspect it, it just feels like there's an aspect that wasn't aware that it, this could be hurtful to, to people, right. Right. yeah.
1: Right, right, and you know, I, I want to look at that. Um, and as, as we're talking, I'm realizing, you know, this hat is very special to me.
2: Hmm. Separate
1: from what you're saying about the logo, because that's where Polly and I had our first date, was at a Cleveland Indians game. Wow. And I got that, this hat all those years ago. And so when I see it, quite honestly, I just remember that, that evening and how special it was to me. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well.
1: But now yeah. I'm seeing it differently. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I can see that that, you know, it would make sense that means something different to me than it means. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I just wanted to make you aware of what that, yeah, I appreciate that, that does mean to me and actually a lot of, a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I know that you don't want to have, you don't want to wear that hat and have the effect that you're having, which I know you're well-intentioned, which is why I'm bringing this up.
1: I appreciate that. No, I don't want to wear something that's going to feel hurtful to other people. Absolutely not.
2: Yeah. Great. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, Glad we talked, but um, yeah, I feel like there's there's a lot not finished here. But I also feel like we could make You know, we could move on and go go have lunch if you want. Yeah,
1: yeah, and let's keep talking. Mm. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah. Appreciate it. it. Thanks for hearing me.
1: Mm. Okay, so you can sense. I mean, this is a tall order. Yeah, that's to have a the, conversation like this. Right. We're not suggesting it's easy. Um, what we do notice that in tr- in real life, the more I practice w- noticing my biases, accessing the implicit biases, and working with them, the easier it is for me to have these kinds of conversations. Right.
0: Right, so the more you bump up against it and then have to process it and grok it a little bit,
1: it mm-hmm. becomes
0: a little
2: easier.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... and go ahead.
2: Sure, like to, to even give a play-by-play of what that's like, what, what Kate said is that, um, as I've been doing this work with, with Kate, and coming to examine and see that I have parts that have taken in bias from from the world and, and actually going down deep and realizing where that bias came from. It makes it a lot easier to understand how bias can be present right. and current in other people in ways that they don't know in ways that they don't even want it to be there. Mm-hmm. And So it makes me much less reactive when I see bias and more responsive. I don't I I definitely I mean back in the past like it would have triggered me made me angry and I wouldn't have said anything because I want to contain my my anger you know. Um,
0: so just let me pause there. Hmm, so you would sure. shut down and you would bite your tongue basically because you would be angry when you would see that kind of a hat, but you wouldn't say anything at all because you would just shut down. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yes. Right. Correct. And then as you continue to do these things and realize what gets triggered in you and then you work through the processes, then you're able to then come forward and engage in the kind of a conversation that is more generative, like the one that you, the second one that you just had mm-hmm. as opposed to the one that is more um, reactive and sort of coming from the hurt part. That was more like the first one. Is that right?
2: Yes. in a in a productive way. And I'll tell you that, that, scenario actually came from something that happened in real life
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the conversation actually happened very similar to the way that it happened just now because of work with, you know, my own parts around, around race and shame and that sort of thing. I was less reactive and I was able to, uh, able to do something that I never would have done in the past. I never would have talked about race in the past. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, this, this work really does help someone to be more effective and bring about change that they would want to bring.
1: Totally. And in, in, in internal family systems, we have uh, a technique called speaking for our parts versus speaking from our parts. So, the first scenario was both of us speaking from our parts, mm-hmm. right? In angry protectors, mm-hmm. right? The second, scenario percy and i both were able to speak for or on behalf of parts like i was able to say wow there's a part of me that's feeling embarrassed that this didn't register Mm -hmm. with me in this way that i didn't see it Mm -hmm. and by being able to connect with that embarrassed part and speak for it it didn't take me over and i didn't need an angry protector to make percy bad or wrong Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and I and I love what you're saying because I think that so many people can identify with this. They know, people will know, I'll know when I'm speaking or writing or whatever it is from a place yes. of anger, which is very different from mm-hmm. allowing the anger or you know the, the energy, as my friend Lama Rod Owens talks about, having the energy of anger be present, mm-hmm. noticing mm-hmm. what that is, why it's arising at this time, And then again, working with it in such a way that I can explore what is this here to tell me, right? Mm -hmm. And then how am I going to respond to the situation? So we're really just talking about, am I speaking from my angry place or from my sad, you know, overwhelmed place or whatever version of it? Or for it, like this is really what they're wanting, this is really yeah. what they're needing, this is really what they're hoping for. And can we, um, as my friend Terry Real might say, connect and protect at the same time? Mm-hmm.
1: Ooh, I think
2: that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Francesca, I like what you said with regards to that because it's not about not being angry. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, anger is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, um, so it's the difference between, uh, when I, when I think about the difference between speaking for anger and speaking from anger, speaking from anger, the angry part would basically just say, you know, F you, um, speaking from, from the angry part, speaking for the angry part would say, yeah, I'm, I'm angry right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, a or a part of me is angry. Right. Right. Um,
2: and so right. you're, you're, you are owning your own anger. in Yes. The sense yes. Um, and that's
0: the key, Kate. I think when you talk about shame, right? Like, there's so much out there that the angry part you talk about primary, secondary emotions, all these things, if in psychological terms. But underneath, it, I, I just think of it as layers of shale. There's rage and anger mm-hmm. and irritation and annoyance. Mm-hmm. And what's underneath all that? Sadness, fear, right? Shame, worry, shame, concern. Mm-hmm um, fear of annihilation, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so, I mean, again, not fracking for real, but in this case, (laughs) let's go down.
1: Yes, let's Let's go go down. And figure out what's down there. What is the vulnerability or an IFS? What is the exile that that anger is protecting? And I also like to say protectors don't travel alone. So if you're hearing anger, the more we practice, the more we can automatically remember, okay, here's an angry part. There is a vulnerability right underneath it, or the angry part would not need to be reacting like this. Yeah. Right. And that is just such rich territory to explore. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And we use this personal example between two people because it, comes up a lot and it's obvious that it takes a little time to do this and we have to be willing to give it the time yeah and so not every space is going to be the right time or place perhaps to have this conversation right it's clear in the role play that you were friends you were you know people yes. who knew one another and that you were sort of exploring this together as it was coming up in real time and we certainly have plenty i think of those kinds of relationships in our lives if we're fortunate where we could maybe mm move into it if we've started to do these these practices and awareness Mm -hmm. i'd also like to just pull out as we begin to wind down with our conversation here today into the broader society at large and how this Mm -hmm. manifests and how this can you know they say like you know one drop in a bucket you know Mm -hmm. i mean Uh we we, we can do our heal heal yourself heal the world whatever version you want to use of that Mm -hmm. but how this helps with all of the things that we're seeing right now on the national local global stage that's big stuff.
1: Yes, big stuff. Yeah, and there are things we can do. Um, like when Percy and I first started working with this, I made a decision to, I'm a voracious reader. Most, I confess, mostly novels, <laughs> nonfiction. Um, I made a commitment to read only things written by people of color. For, and I said, I'm going to do this for a year. And now I'm well into my second year. And I have to say, it is really transformative to just absorb, when I read, I'm just in that world, absorb the experience of people not like me, mm-hmm. right? And last weekend, we did a workshop with the Boston Law Collaborative, and uh, saw a video um with, um, uh, I'm blanking on her name.
2: Oh, blind spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was it? But once again, Mazarin Banaji. Oh, yeah. right. The um, implicit bias. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: she,
2: yeah, she a wrote.
1: Yeah, yeah. she And she's or, done amazing. She's designed the implicit association tests with others. And she wrote uh, last year's bestseller, which is called Blind Spot, which is fabulous, by the way, for anyone who wants to read a little bit more about this. Okay. Anyhow, she said she took her own implicit association test around race. You can get tests to look at access um implicit bias around all kinds of topics but she took her own test around race and saw she's got implicit bias that she didn't she would have said she didn't have any after all the work she's done anyhow what she did to um counteract that is she put photographs of people of color all around her office so that her norm are to see and they're you know all people we would recognize, most people we would recognize, Maya Angelou, Martin Luther King, um, who else was there? Yeah. Gandhi. Right. Um, just, um, it was just an amazing, amazingly effective action she could take that would continue to help her transform her internal experience. And then she's different in the world. Right. And so we can bring it out into the world. And um, you're right. We're talking about one-on-one conversations, but we can have broader experience.
0: Well, those are beautiful examples of embodiment, right? Like, because you're practicing what it is by reading these, um, African-American authors you're practicing a little bit of you know again walking a mile in another person's shoes right and then she's practicing the familiarity of what it is to be in community with even if you know through her photographs or whatever to be really in community with people who don't appear just like me or who have different experiences than me right Mm -hmm. on the outside or because Mm -hmm. of our societal you know conditioning as opposed to on the inside, how we all know what 99% you're the Dr. Percy, but nine, most mostly we're all the same DNA, right? Right, right. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah and, and by the way, the implicit bias test is implicit.harvard.edu, uh, if one's interested yeah. in taking that test.
0: Yeah, I've taken them, and they're not pretty on my end either.
2: <laughs> right. It's
1: kind of remarkable, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and they offer them around ableism, around racism, around yes.
1: sexism, I'm around- Yes, totally, racism. yeah. And so once you see it, then we can work with it. It's not just enough. I don't think we don't think to become aware of it, but to really make a commitment to work on undoing some of these beliefs toward becoming a you know more fully embodied human being.
2: Yeah, I you know what comes to mind. I'm not sure how much. Um, time we have but just briefly like how we have would as much
0: time as we want i just don't want. want to keep you guys all day oh, okay. but, but yeah. we have as much time as we want i have until one
2: yeah okay well there there are um three i guess you know in my mind three things as far as giving feedback and probably a couple of steps with regard to working with one's own implicit bias um, that that i'd like to put out there Um, so, so with regard to, I think since we're on working with one's own implicit bias, um, I'd invite people to kind of, if you're, if you're going to do this work yourself, you know, you can contemplate a bias that you see either out in the world or a bias that you, that you see that you want to work on in you and think about how it manifests out in the world and what ways that it manifests, um, and images might come to mind. And just think about how that feels, and probably there's gonna be some, some anger, some wanting to push it away. And kind of contemplate what it might be like to, to see that bias in oneself, to, be, to even have the possibility of this bias being in you. And for most people, that's not a good feeling. For most people that feels very, there might be either defensiveness or resistance to that idea, or shame. And just ask ourselves, if there were this bias in us, hypothetically, would we want to see it? Would we want to examine it, not so that we can validate it and support it, but so that we can do something about it? And if there were a way to do something about it, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to see it? Um, and what if it didn't make you a bad person to have that there? What if it were part of the normal functioning of the human brain? to categorize to categorize people and places and things just like the brain does and when we want to discover the ways in which we do it that's not it's not productive and so if we can allow ourselves the curiosity can we take a look at ways that biases might come up inside of us holding it in curiosity and openness so In that sense, are there any thoughts or feelings um, that are automatic behaviors that you're aware of that might be a sign of, of bias? And can we get curious about that? We really hold it in open curiosity and then ask ourselves, where did this come from? Where did we learn to do this? Where did we learn to feel this way? Where did we learn to have those automatic thoughts? And are you able to imagine yourself at a time when you, when you learned that and took that in? And can you interact with that young one in a way that helps them to, to learn something that's more accurate for them, that's, that's different for them? Is there a part of you that is, that is being protected by holding this belief? And can we be with that part in a way that we need to be there with that part? And so really being there with those, those young parts is what helps us to, to actually access the parts of us that have taken in that bias and being in, with them in a helpful way. And also in the way, in the way back up, um, way back to, to the surface, we can, um, once we see that, ask ourselves, okay, do we really feel, do we really need to shame ourselves for having this or do we kind of understand how it could get there? And do we really need to shame others for having this or can we go ahead and take a more helpful role and help them with it? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a brief sample yeah. of what we might do in a guided meditation. And that was really quick, but the ones that we have go, go really more in depth and more slowly to help us really elicit, elicit these layers and elucidate these layers. Um, and work with them in a way that actually helps to bring out internal change at each of these layers so um that's one one just sample of the kind of work that we do um so
0: yeah no i I love that and it's actually reminding me of a couple of things um you know again my my mindfulness teacher jack Hornfield. um you know he always talks about loving awareness and um he's like he always ends all of his retreats or at least i feel he does i shouldn't say always never anything but Get shit on there too. So let me just restart that by saying <laughs> the times when Jack says that he talks about loving awareness, he will say, Trust it, it's your true home. And this business of trusting it, this loving awareness, this self in presence, this mm-hmm. that as we work with these parts as we begin to recognize that we can separate out um, that there is a uh, response that we may have that doesn't also mean that we're a bad person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That yes. they aren't coupled together, you know, right. in somatic experiencing language that we can uncouple them or in some ways, you know, in IFS language, internal family systems language, we can unburden them to do what they really wanna do. Yes. Right? So that you're allowing your true self, your loving awareness, um, this part, as you're cultivating, pulling apart the layers and stuff, uh, and a, a capacity for that to shine forward, to connect, while also having all these other pieces of, I can remain boundary. It doesn't mean I'm walking around open-heartedly, right. you know, walking up to every person saying right. that, you know, you are going to be my best friend. Yes, you're my brother. And if you're holding an Uzi, I am not just going to walk into you and start jumping in your face. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. not wise. Right. <laughs> so like, we're not, we're not, we're suggesting this, um, the multi multi-layered place, but this business of going deep inside, like you just let us do Percy, I think is really that meditative process that we're pretty familiar with, which is, who are we really? Who are we really wanting?
2: Yeah, there, there's a, a movie <coughs> by Robin Hauser, is the, is the director, producer, mm. and um, there's a quote at the end of that movie, um, that is, that really struck me. And, it, and, it, and I'm, I'm forgetting, I don't know who actually in the movie um, said the quote, I think it was a, a lawyer who works with implicit bias. Um, but it says, if you believe that you have it, if you believe that you have implicit bias and you believe and understand that it has consequences to the people around you in the world, then the only question left to ask is what are you going to do about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, right.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe you have it, and someone does an exchange, as you pointed out in the demo, that might indicate you could have it, Mm -hmm. are we willing to just open up one molecule of possibility of awareness around that? and move into the space that you just mentioned is, okay, well, can I allow that to be there? And then what shall I do?
2: Yeah, would you, right. if, if it were there, hypothetically, would you want to see it? Would you want to be aware of it?
1: Right. So that you could do something about it.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Yep, that's what I always
0: say, you know, you got the, you got the mold in the basement or the termites in the basement, and we just keep, keep shutting the door. It's <laughs> gonna get better. <laughs> right. House right. How's crumble? Um, right Mm. and as we wind down Kate um, parting thoughts or you know uh, anything you want to share that we can share in this frame
1: you know really extending an invitation the greatest gift we can give ourselves is the willingness to do this work to take a look at it and this good news the good news is we have a way of not just our way um, there are other ways too but the way we use, we have a way of working with it that will lead to so much more freedom individually and in the world. And that's really good news. We're not stuck with it. So I invite everyone who's listening or watching to join us in this work.
0: Beautiful, thank you. Mm -hmm. Percy?
2: Yeah, I've, I would echo that. I think there's always so much more to, to be said and so much more um, opportunity. It was a rich discussion today. Um, and um, it uh, makes me grateful and it gives me hope that there are people who are curious and uh, that, that want to tune into programs like this to really examine what's mm-hmm. happening inside of us that is making the world unsafe for, for, for lots of people. So I think it's beautiful for, you know, for anyone who tuned in. Thank you for being here.
1: Yes. Yeah. And thank you, Francesca, for what you bring to the world in this program and all
2: of your work. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, much appreciation for you.
0: Very generous of you. Thank you so much. And for anybody who wants to find you online, they should go to...
2: Yeah, you can go to ImplicitBiasOutsideIn.com. That's the name of our program, Implicit Bias from the Outside In.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kate and Percy, thank you so much. I am so grateful and um, look forward to reconnecting with you um, again, or always just staying connected in our
1: heart. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.